0: Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas said, Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, the Gospel of our Lord. grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here is the question for the day, straight from our gospel lesson. Are you a person who has doubts when it comes to your faith, or are you a person with rock-solid faith? It's not an easy question to answer, is it? Well, listen to this strange story I found on the Internet. In Mount Vernon, a small town in Texas, Drummond's Bar had begun construction on a new building because it wanted to increase its business. A local church responded to the uh, expansion by starting a campaign to block the bar from opening with prayers because it disapproved of the consumption of alcohol. Well, work progressed right up until the week before the opening. When lightning struck the bar and it burnt to the ground, the church folks were rather smug in their outlook after that, claiming the power of prayer had stopped the bar from expanding until the bar owners sued the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, either through direct or indirect actions or means. While well, the church vehemently denied all responsibility or connection to the building's deny, demise in its reply to the court. As the case made its way through the court, the judge looked over the paperwork. And at the hearing, he commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this case. It appears that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire congregation that does not. So, who are the people who doubt in this story, and who are the people who have faith? Well, it's the second Sunday after Easter. And like every year on the second Sunday after Easter, we hear the story of the disciples' encounter of the risen Jesus in the upper room. And we hear about poor doubting Thomas, who for some reason was not in the upper room when Jesus first appeared. And this is an interesting story. Yet the fact of the matter is this, that when Jesus encountered Thomas, Jesus didn't label him doubting Thomas. He didn't really judge him. He came to Thomas just as he was and offered him peace. And many would say that, you know, Thomas really isn't a doubter as much as a realist. And let's face it, a few days earlier, he had encountered reality like never before, when he saw his friend and teacher tried and nailed to a cross and died. When his friends tell him that they have seen the Lord, Thomas reacts with skepticism like any realist, the kind of maybe a terminally ill patient might have who has accepted their faith when they hear something like, oh, guess what? We have a miracle cure for you now. You can just hear that person saying, sure, sure. Well, I think one of the ways to understand our gospel text for today is to see that God takes us, accepts us where we are in life, with our doubt and our faith all mixed up inside of us at the same time. Well, you see, a week before Thomas ever touched the wounds of Jesus, the other disciples were sitting together in the upper room. It was the night of the first Easter, and I suspect that having denied and betrayed and abandoned Jesus, those disciples were wondering about what they had maybe done and not done. They were wondering about their failures. And it wouldn't be really a stretch to think that perhaps they were passing around blame for the death of Jesus. You could almost hear them saying it was the fault of the chief priest who condemned them, who condemned him. And you know what? There really wasn't enough room for us to be at the foot of the cross because all those women were there taking up space. And you can hear them thinking, maybe if that sleazy Judas hadn't sold him out in the first place, this wouldn't have happened at all. It's kind of what we do when we know we've really blown it. But the cause of our truth of our own shortcomings is often too much for us to bear. Or maybe the disciples were behind the locked doors because they were afraid of Jesus because they had failed him so miserably. And the last person the disciples want to meet on that evening is a risen Jesus who might just confront them about their awful failures and kind of say, hey guys, where were you? But anyway, they are there behind locked doors, blaming themselves, blaming their others, hiding, trying to figure out what Mary Magdalene meant when she said, I've seen the Lord. And it is here sitting there in the midst of their doubt and fear and locked doors, in the midst of their blame and justifications, those disciples encounter the risen Jesus. It is here at that place he chose to appear to his beloved disciples, even though they had abandoned him. And notice this, that the text doesn't say when they had repented from being kind of jerks, if you will, when they had perfected their faith and the purity of the doctrine, then Jesus comes and says, you're worthy of receiving me. No, it is there in their fear and doubt, their betrayal, and probably a little shame that Jesus comes. And it takes more than locked doors and lack of faith and lowest self-esteem to keep Jesus away. In fact, when we are at the point in our lives when our failings and our shortcomings are so unfiltered, when we are at a point in life when we know we have completely blown it, when we are so undeniably aware of our need for God's grace, it is then that God comes to us just as we are, bringing us peace and forgiveness. It's just like God to barge in uninvited. Through our fear and locked doors to remind us, whether we like it or not, that we are forgiven and that we are loved and that we are treasured and that we are God's beloved. God reminds us that we are more in the sum total of our bad choices and more than even the sum total of our good choices. God reminds us that we are his. Well, this whole thing is really an example of our God, who is always saying this insistent yes to all of our polite, no thank you, no thank you, because a week later, their friend Thomas, who missed it all the first time, was with them in the same room. He had said, by the way, a polite no thank you to the news that Jesus had risen from the dead when his friends had told him they have seen the Lord. It's something we've all done, and yet he gets the name as doubter, and as though it makes it somehow distinct, that fact that he does that. But because the reality is this, we are all doubters. But something about doubt is this, that doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it's a component of having faith. A theologian, Brian McClare, recently wrote a book called Faith After Doubt. And he likes to say that faith does not exclude doubt. He says that doubting is essential to our faith because it makes us dive into it even deeper and to explore it even more. And doubting can mean that we haven't forgotten the story, that we're still listening. And the best thing about doubt is that at least we're being honest. We're not trying to stuff it away. We're being honest. I cannot tell you how many times, as a pastor, I've heard people say, you know what? I've been wondering about this. I've been wondering about that. How does this all fit together? Well, over time, I think people who've had doubts about their faith, like Thomas, have gotten a bad rap. It's like you're not faithful if you have a question about your faith. It's like uh, you have to have your faith all tied up in a neat little package, and then you're truly a Christian. But the fact of the matter is, is that in the church there are many people who are active, but who still have doubts. Sometimes this will be because their faith is growing and they're exploring Ideas they never explored before. They want to put it all together. You could say it's multidimensional. And sometimes it may be because people have experienced a tragedy or evil in the world. Doubt seems to be a natural response to these type of events in people's lives. I have read that during the pandemic, a lot of people have doubted their faith. And we also know this, that some of the greatest Christians that we know about had doubts of faith. Martin Luther did, Author C.S. Lewis, even Mother Teresa, who was so, um, so committed to her mission. These are all people who are examples of people who have doubted. So doubt may be a very natural thing for us to have as the disciples of Jesus in our lives. And there is no shame in this. So, if that's where you are at, if you have doubt, or there are things about your faith that you still question, know it's okay. But you should be prepared for something. It's the thing you may never have heard people in the church talk about, but it exists. It's called test of doubt, not test of faith. Out, and you should probably watch out for them. Well, here's how one ELC pastor describes her test of doubt. She says, When I was sure that this whole Jesus thing had nothing to offer me, when I felt so alienated by some Christians I knew who judged me, and I was so clear about my dislike for organized religion, religion When I thought I had unwavering, rock-solid doubt, I wandered into a church that challenged all my certainties I had about the Christian faith. It was my great crisis of doubt. There, I wandered into this little Lutheran church, and there I was freely given absolution, I was told that God loved me. I heard the gospel. I was literally given a chunk of bread, which I was told that it it was Jesus and it was for me. And I slowly began, because of all these things, to lose my doubt. So watch out, dear brothers and sisters. Watch out. Because here's the thing. It's not faith that is the biggest threat to doubt. The biggest threat to doubt is the barging in of God revealed in Christ, just like it was for Thomas and those other disciples in the upper room. So if you would like to protect your doubt, here are some things you might just keep at a distance, that you might just try to stay away from. Avoid people who have heard the gospel and actually live as though it's true. Avoid talking about your doubt with other people. Avoid receiving communion where you receive something tangible that tells you God loves you. Avoid receiving forgiveness. Avoid receiving strangers, a way that God often does come to us. And by all means, don't sing hymns, don't come to worship, don't read God's word, for they are the most dangerous and just politely continue to say, no thank you, no thank you. But know this, whether doubt is something that you fear or something that you foster, be prepared for it to be tested again and again by a God who rudely barges into our locked doors and offers us peace and breath and spirit And then sends us out to do the same for the world God loves enough to keep saying yes to it, even though it often says no thank you. God says yes to it through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be prepared for God to barge in, because that's the kind of God we have. Amen.